Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. It's good to be with you on this Lord's Day. And eventually you're going to have a new teaching pastor, but I hope you don't forget about me. Um, If you need someone in a pinch, give me a call. I'd be happy to serve you. It's been a real delight over the last few months being able to dig into God's Word and to prepare teachings for this fellowship. So thank you for making me feel part of the family. It's been an honor. Yeah. So several years ago, my wife Renee and I were talking about dreaming a dream of how God might use our lives for the sake of the gospel, how he might use us to impact the world for the sake of his name. A friend of mine calls these God dreams. As I shared about the dream that was on my heart, my wife Renee said, you know, it seems to me that very few Christians actually get to live out their dreams for God. And unfortunately, I think she's right. Now, there's many reasons for this, but I believe there is one reason that is at the root of most of the other reasons. Many Christians once dreamed of radical commitment to Jesus. They dreamed of making their lives count for the gospel, laying down their lives, as it were, for the greatest cause. But for most, the dream faded away because of a sense of unworthiness and guilt that eventually gave way to spiritual powerlessness, and they ended up settling for a life of spiritual mediocrity. And what I mean is this, they gave up their dreams for Christ because they didn't know how to deal with the guilt of failure. And folks, giving up our dreams for Christ is a great tragedy because he created us and saved us for something extraordinary, for something magnificent. The problem for all of Christ's followers is not just how not to fail, but what to do when we fail. Now, it would be nice if we never sinned again. Wouldn't that be nice? A.W. Tozer said, he wished God would just de-onionize us. He had this, this metaphor of onion being sinful. I like onions, but he had this idea that imagine God just comes in the garden and pulls out all the onions. But we know while we're on earth, sin remains in our hearts. It lingers. Now, as we grow in love for Christ, we should sin less often. But folks, the truth is in a broken and fallen world, sometimes we are going to fall. We're going to fail. This is what happens. Satan tempts us by telling us that sin can make us happier than God can, right? That's how it works. No one sins out of a sense of obligation or duty. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I have a quota of sin to meet. If you're in Christ, that's not how it works. You sin when you believe Satan's lie, when he tells you God is holding out on you. He's keeping you from real joy and real 
happiness. And when we accept his offer, instead of trusting that Christ alone can satisfy the ache of our hearts, our hearts, we sin. And after we've sinned, here's what happens. Satan, the very one who told us God was holding out on us, he rubs our noses in our failure. And he uses guilt to rob us of our God dreams. He tells us, you'll never be useful to God. You're not who you say you are. You'll never be used by God again. He tries to destroy our courageous dreams for Christ so that we will not pursue them and we will settle for a life of spiritual mediocrity. When we do fall prey to sin, what will we tell the devil when he says our failures rule us out of God's purposes? When he tells us that we are condemned to a life of spiritual mediocrity, what are we supposed to do when we are beaten up because of our sin and we feel hopeless and helpless because we have fallen? We must learn to fight failure, folks, with brokenhearted boldness. That's the title of this morning's message, Brokenhearted Boldness. And we're going to spend some time in Micah chapter 7. It's a small little prophetic book towards the end of the Old Testament. We're going to look at chapter 7, verses 7 through 10. And in this passage, we get a picture of how the prophet dealt with his enemy after he had fallen he had failed God. The prophet had fallen. He had sinned. He had blown it. And this is how he deals with his enemy. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Micah chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 9 initially, and then later on we'll pick up verse 10 as well. Verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. The words are important. Brokenhearted boldness. Micah fought his failure with brokenhearted boldness. He's broken. He admits he has sinned. He confesses his sin. He feels awful about it. He's, he's brokenhearted, which, by the way, is the evidence that you belong to Jesus. Again, you're going to face sin in this life. You will still encounter it. It's hidden in the folds of your heart, and sometimes it rises up. But when you partake of sin or participate in sin, you feel bad. You feel awful about it. That's what's happening with the prophet. 
He feels awful about his sin. He knows God is indignant. He knows God is angry. But even in his brokenheartedness, in the midst of being disciplined by God, he will not let go of the truth that God is for him, not against him. That God is on his side. And so he's brokenhearted because of his failure, but he's also bold. My friends, memorize Micah 7, 7 through 10. Inscribe them on the tablet of your heart and meditate on them so that you can use them against Satan when he tells you to throw your God dreams away. This is what victory looks like the morning after you have failed. Learn from Micah and use broken-hearted boldness to speak to the devil or anyone else who tells you that your failures have prevented God from being able to use you mightily for his cause. Verse 8, we're going to unpack this verse by verse. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Micah had clearly sinned, and we don't know what he did, and that's probably just as well. We like to peek into other people's lives, and we don't know what he did, but he sinned, and his enemy is clearly rejoicing over his failure. He's laughing at him because he has fallen. Maybe Satan is saying to him, Micah, you don't love God. You're not who you say you are. You'll never be used by God again, Micah. Look at you. You're a failure. You're no prophet. You're certainly no Christian. Micah says, don't rejoice over me, oh my enemy. And then he continues, he says, when I fall, I will arise. His enemy was obviously telling him not to get up. That he couldn't be used by God anymore. After you have sinned, after you have fallen, have you ever heard that voice that tells you not to get up? That voice that says, stay down. You've fallen too many times. There's no more mercy left. That voice that says, it's no use. You can't be God's instrument any longer. Well, Micah had fallen and he knew it. He admitted it. And he was grieving over the dishonor that he had brought to his king's name. But this is when his boldness begins to kick in. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. Yeah, I'm down. But I'm going to get up. And he continues in verse 8, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light. The Lord will be a light to me in the midst of my darkness. Micah was in darkness. Make no mistake, when you sin, there's an interruption to the intimacy you have with God. Micah's in a darkness brought on by his sin. He feels miserable and guilty. He's brokenhearted. He knows he made God's great name look small, and that's what sin does. It doesn't just damage man. It demeans God. It robs him of the glory that is due him. 
Micah's enemy is right about one thing, but only one thing. Micah had sinned. The very God who brought the darkness because of Micah's sin is also Micah's light in the midst of the darkness. And Micah knows that God will not forsake him, even though he's failed. Another verse you must memorize is Hebrews 13.5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You may not sense him. You may not feel him. There may be that interruption to the fellowship that accompanies sin, but he hasn't left you. And the enemy will use those times of failure to say, say, he, say he'll say to you, see, he's gone. But Micah is holding on to this truth that even in the darkness, God is his light. Verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Micah is bearing the anger of God because of his sin. And this anger is righteous. This indignation is righteous. It's not wrong. Sometimes dads get mad. And earthly fathers, in their anger, sometimes they sin. But not our Heavenly Father. His anger is always right. It's always righteous. And Micah's bearing this indignation. Micah's enemy, as I said earlier, is right about one thing, but only one thing. Micah had sinned, but that's all his enemy is right about because the very God who is angry with Micah is also Micah's advocate. He is his defender. I I imagine Micah's enemy says to him that God is against him. You forsook God, so God has forsaken you, and you have no future because of your failure. But folks, this is a lie from the pit of hell. And it's one of the greatest tools that Satan uses to rob God's children from their God dreams. Micah says, God will plead my cause. I will bear his indignation until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Now, I don't know about you, but if God pleaded my cause, I'd be in big trouble because in myself I have no righteousness. My cause is a record of failure. It wouldn't be right for God to just simply overlook my sin, or Micah's for that matter. So what exactly does this mean when the prophet says, God will plead my cause? Well, get this, Micah's cause, or if you will, the record of his life, that's what it speaks of. The record of his life is not his own record. Belongs to someone else. To better understand this, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pull out a few verses from this passage that I think help this passage in Micah make sense. 
Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Paul writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, you're, you're dead in sin. And you have hearts that are not circumcised. They're bent on wickedness. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The record of debt that stood against us, God set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, when did this happen, folks? We know it happened over 2,000 years ago. It happened over 2,000 years ago. It did not happen in us. It happened outside of us without any help from us before we were ever even born. This is an amazing truth. This is the gospel. God has taken the record of all of our sins, all of our failures, and instead of taking that record and holding it in front of our faces and using it as a warrant to condemn us to hell, which he could have, he placed the record of that debt in the palm of his son's hands and he nailed it to the cross. Whose sins were nailed to the cross or more precisely whose sins were punished on the cross? My sins, your sins. The sins of all those who despair of saving themselves and they trust in the finished work of Jesus whose hands were nailed to the cross, or more precisely, who was punished on the cross? Not us. Jesus was, bearing the wrath of God for our sin. There's a beautiful name for this. It's called substitution. You see, Micah's cause is not his own. It's the cause of Christ. Paul wrote these words in Romans 8.3, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Whose sin? Ours. Jesus had no sin. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was not sinful. He condemned sin in Jesus' flesh, not ours. And right after saying that God nailed the record of our debt to the cross in Colossians 2, I love this. Oh, how I love this passage. Paul says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is a reference to Satan, to our enemy and his demonic hosts. But how are they disarmed? How are they defeated? Maybe you're thinking, I still deal with them all the time. <laughs> I still deal with those voices. I still deal 
with brokenness that I don't know how to deal with, with failure that I don't know how to deal with. In fact, Satan and his demons can do us harm, and they often do, but they are disarmed of the one weapon that condemn us and condemn us, unforgiven sin. That weapon was taken out of their hands when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Our enemies cannot separate us from God. They can mock us. They can scoff us. But they cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And again, right after saying that God God nailed the record of our debt to the cross, he says, God triumphed over them in him. So they can discourage you. They can make you feel defeated. But the one weapon that can condemn you has been removed from their hands. It was nailed to the cross. So putting this all together, Jesus met the righteous requirements of the law for us. And when we trust him and call upon him as our savior, we are declared righteous. We are in right standing with God. Jesus was punished for us. He absorbed the wrath of God against our sin. And when we trust him and call upon him as our savior, he becomes our punishment or his punishment counts as ours. So those who trust in Christ have as their cause the cause of Christ. He is their law keeper. He is their curse bearer. He is their substitution. Now back to Micah. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord in verse 9 because I've sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment, or maybe your version says justice, for me. By faith, somehow the prophet knows that the life and death of God's Son will count on his behalf. He looked forward to the cross. We look backwards, but he was waiting for Messiah the lawkeeper, the curse bearer who would restore fellowship between God and his people. Somehow he knew and he says, God is going to plead my cause and execute judgment for me. For us. Not against us. Those are beautiful words. For us. He executes justice and judgment for us, not against us. And so Micah says, he will bring me forth to the light. I will see his vindication. The misery Micah feels because of his sin is just temporary. He knows that the righteousness and punishment of the Son of God count as his own. So he says, I will look upon my Lord and God again. I will see his vindication. Folks, Micah's enemy is a liar. God is not against him. But because of Christ, God is for him. Micah's not under the wrath of God. 
his enemy is. Turn back with me to Micah. Verse 10. I kept this one for last. It's so good. (laughs) Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. Micah's not condemned. His enemy is. Satan's designs to keep Micah down are backfiring in his face and bringing him to open shame, just like that passage in Colossians. Satan's designs to destroy Micah are turning into a scheme of God's love for Micah. And instead of them driving Micah away from God, They're driving him to God. Folks, when we fail, the enemy says, stay away from God. He's had it with you. But we should be running to him. You see, shame is no longer covering Micah. It's covering Satan. He's being trampled down like mire in the streets. People, when we learn to fight our failures with broken-hearted boldness, with the confidence that God is for us and not against us, not because of us, but because of the cause of Christ, because of that, we will fall less often, I believe, because Jesus will become more precious to us. And Satan will not be able to rob us of our radical dreams for God. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 130. I'm going to look at a parallel passage here. Uh, I've memorized this one too. It's one of those ones that I go to when I've blown it. And it's basically Micah 7, 7 through 9. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The psalmist has fallen. He's in darkness. He says, God, I need you to hear me. I'm in the depths of despair. Verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand but with you there is forgiveness, for you are feared. He turns his attention to the mercy of God. God, if you marked my iniquities, if you counted them against me, if my cause was my own cause, I couldn't stand before you. But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. So boldness is kicking in, and this is where it really goes to the next level. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits And in his word I place my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more 
than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He says, God, I'm not hoping in me, my feelings, but I'm hoping in your word, your steadfast love. And I'm waiting for you because I'm in the depths of despair. It's dark. But I'm waiting for you like the watchman waits for the morning. How do watchmen wait for the morning? Well, in ancient cities, there was a defensive barrier, a wall around every major city. And it was meant to keep out invaders and thieves and marauders. And at night, the city was vulnerable. It was in darkness. And so the watchmen were sentinels, and they walked the top of the wall in order to secure the welfare of the city and the safety of the city. And they waited in the darkness with absolute certainty that morning was going to come. And it's emphatic. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen, more than watchmen. It's a repetition. God is going to show up. The sun is going to rise. I'm in darkness because I've sinned, but I know about your mercy. My hope is in you, and so I know the sun is going to rise in my life again. And then the prophet declares this, uh, the psalmist rather, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and in the ESV I love this, and with him is plentiful redemption. His redemption is inexhaustible. He will redeem Israel from all of their iniquities. Similar to Micah. He's despairing because of failure, so he's calling out to God for mercy. He's banking on the promises of God and the mercy of God, and his hope is in the word of God, and so he waits with expectation, and he says, I'm only in darkness temporarily. The sun is going to rise in my life again. So I wonder, some of you here this morning, maybe there was a time where you dreamed a God dream for how God might make your life count for something that would outlast your life for the sake of eternity. But that dream has faded, not just because of your failures, but because you didn't know how to fight your failures with brokenhearted boldness. I know this message is for some of you. Learn from Micah. If you have once dreamed a dream, but that dream has faded, memorize these words. Let them provoke you to get up, to trust in the character of God, to rise again, and to believe once again that he can use your life for something extraordinary. Amen? Father, thank you. for your mercy that is from old. We ask you, remember not our sins. Instead, remember your steadfast love. God, I pray for those here today who, God, this hit home. They're feeling like they're living a life of spiritual mediocrity because they don't know how to fight failure. God. Use the words of your prophet this morning to, yes, be brokenhearted over sin. It's the proof that your spirit is in us.
but to be bold, to trust that you can pick them up. You can use them in ways they've never imagined. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.